Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. Shoulder pain is common and affects up to 66% of the population at some point in life. Problems like impingement, tendonitis, and rotator cuff tears are the most common. Today, we have orthopedist and shoulder expert Dr. Ed McFarland here to discuss what we need to know about the causes and treatments of shoulder pain. Former Baltimore Orioles pitcher Tippy Martinez then shares how he overcame traumatic injuries and gripping shoulder pain to perform in the 1983 World Series. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. As you can imagine, shoulder pain can be especially serious among professional pitchers. Their careers and livelihood literally depend on their physical health and the ability to perform at a very high level. Here today to talk about shoulder pain and how it can make or break a pitching career is Tippy Martinez. Tippy pitched for the Baltimore Orioles from 1976 to 1986. Tippy, welcome to Aches and Gains. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Tippy, shoulder pain has got to cause problems for pitchers, doesn't it? Uh, well, I mean, as far as with that, you know, no pitcher wants to pay, uh, play with any kind of pain. Uh, there's a lot of pitchers out there that go out there sometimes with a little bit of discomfort uh, and work through it, and you work through it as far as through, uh, you know, as far as with innings or amount of throws, and, uh, you know, some pitchers maybe might take some aspirin or Motrin uh, to help uh, cushion the discomfort sometimes. Uh, there's a fine line that a person knows as far as with that and actually being hurt. And when did you start experiencing shoulder pain? Later in my career, uh, like maybe in 86, 85, 86. Okay. Now, sometimes I used to throw maybe 10 pitches and get ready and ready to get in the game. And uh, that's probably kind of unheard of. Normally, you take a little bit longer. Uh, it was in the Chicago, actually, as far as when that happened. And uh, when I threw, uh, it felt like something kind of popped in the back of my shoulder. It felt like that. Uh, the coaches and stuff noticed something that I wasn't throwing as hard, and uh, my breaking ball wasn't as sharp. But uh, the reason for that is because I was uh, I was in pain. Well, Tippy, you've probably been pitching since high school or college days and using your shoulder a lot. I mean, did you have pain in the shoulder back at that time? When I was in college, I had discomfort within the shoulder uh, to begin with. My sophomore year, I had a cortisone shot that a doc shot in the middle of my deltoid, Uh and he told me to rest, you know, not to throw, and uh, which I did. I rested for about a week. Before you knew it, the pain went away. So I didn't have any shoulder pain after that, you know, for about at least another another 10 years because from that, uh, from there I had a great year. I was ranked second in the nation in college 
and had a great year in my junior year as well. Moving to the major leagues then, did you sustain any injuries to your shoulder? Oh, well, what was diagnosed is I had a torn labrum. Uh, and the uh, the doctor t- said when he, he shot dye into my shoulder yeah. uh, to find out what the problem was, uh, he saw nothing He saw nothing like it. He, he thought I had like an 80-year-old shoulder. Wow. I, I, obviously, I got pretty scared. That was the team doctor. So I immediately went to get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went to Dr. Andrews in Virginia, and uh, actually he did another surgery with uh, Roger Clemens, and uh, he took a look at my shoulder, and I said, well, what do you think about my shoulder? Uh, actually, the shoulder itself, the structure of it, and he says, what do you mean? He says, I, well, I was, I was uh, told that I had an 80-year-old shoulder, and he says, oh, no. No, he says, you got the same, same injury that Roger Clemens had, and he's pitching fine. Mm-hmm. you got a torn labrum, and it's just, it's just a matter of resting it. Well, Tippy, did the injury and the pain take you out of the game entirely? Well, uh, I started throwing like after six months mm-hmm. uh, because I couldn't wait to get back, and I wanted to be back with the team, and I wanted to help the team out. So I started throwing earlier than really what I should have. Started having the discomfort again because I think I came back too quickly. And Tippy, how bad actually was the shoulder pain? I mean, was it uh, limiting your basic life activities? If I was wanted to pour myself a glass or, or get a gallon of uh, milk out of the fridge, uh, when my shoulder would couldn't hold the 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 weight, it would automatically go right straight down. That seems pretty so, severe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to use my right hand in order to just get my get the milk out to pour myself some cereal. Even though you re-entered the game earlier than you should have, did you feel that you had full shoulder and arm capacity? When I started throwing on, on my rehab after that, after six months, and, and finally being able to throw and throw all my pitches, <clears throat> I felt no pain. There was no pain at all. It was just a matter of, of trying to get my lo- my velocity back up to speed, uh, you know, throwing 88 to 89. And I probably had the best spring training of my career because normally I'm, I'm a real slow starter and I don't, and I don't have... Uh, good spring trainings. Uh, so, Tippy, did pain restrict the velocity of your pitches? Uh, oh, yeah, I've, absolutely. There's no question about that. This is Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Games. We're speaking with Tippy Martinez, former pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, about his shoulder pain. Tippy, when we come back, I'd like to ask you about what treatments you had that you found most successful for your shoulder pain. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. And we're back. My guest is Tippy Martinez, former Baltimore Orioles pitcher. Tippy, tell us what treatments were the most useful for controlling your shoulder pain. I think I had some, a lot of stem work with those electrodes and stuff, and you know, within the shoulder, the front, the middle, and the back. Yes, that felt pretty good. I mean, uh, that seemed to like work the muscles. You know, somebody stretches you manually. Uh, that felt so comfortable because I was able to to be able to throw my pitches because my I was stretched out a lot you know a lot easier than me going out there and trying to throw a baseball yes. and do it on my own. And Tippy, what if anything did you take to relieve the pain? Every once in a while I would take uh you know da- uh, Darvon every once in a while but I didn't want to get into that too much because uh you know I didn't want to depend on that and plus you you know it could 
he could hide the pain, so to speak. Uh, but it, it didn't do that much for me anyway, because when I experienced the pain, I mean, I felt the pain. Darvon or anything of that nature was not going to was not going to hide it. And, and Tippy, do you feel that professional baseball players are using opioids to control their pain just to get through the game? I would have to say probably yes to some certain extent. Uh, as far as abusing it, you know, I would have to I'd, I'd have to give credit to my. Uh, as far as fellow players, as far as that they didn't abuse it. Are the team doctors advocates of using opioids just to get uh, baseball players through the game? No. Uh, they like for the rehab part of it to, to be taking place or rest. How does your shoulder feel today? Uh, well, right now, you know, Doc, I can, I can golf. And it doesn't buy it. As far as the, the stretching part of it, when you finish the, the swing to when you're finished high, you know, and my shoulder's real tight. But the actual swing does not bother me. But Tippy, were there other players in the game who sustained shoulder injuries and who overcame them and gave you a sense of hope that you could uh, do the same? Yeah, I, I think as far as with that, I mean, like they say, you know, Clemens was one, and that's what gave me hope, and Clemens had the same uh, injury that I had, that I had an opportunity to come back and come back with the same velocity that I had, which I probably would have if I wouldn't come back so quickly. Um, I think I was like uh, maybe eight years older than he was when he had his injury, and uh, he went on to win Cy Young Awards after mm-hmm. that, and his velocity was, was the way it used to be, and he, and he kept on pitching. And one final question, Tippy: Have you known any pitchers who've been forced to retire due to shoulder pain or injury? Oh, absolutely. A good friend of mine who who was signed by the Yankees when I did uh, never got the opportunity. He probably threw just as good as I did, if not better, and... Uh, uh, he had a shoulder injury, and that's just by him making a pitch and stepping on a rock. Mm. And uh, when it threw his mechanics off, well, something happened to his shoulder. And he, he, he was never the same. He still feels the pain today. Well, Tippy, thank you very much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Well, thanks, thanks for having me. When we return, we'll talk with Dr. Ed McFarland, orthopedist and shoulder expert. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. And we're back. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Dr. Ed McFarland is professor of shoulder and orthopedic surgery at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's a consulting orthopedic surgeon for the Baltimore Orioles, and he has spoken around the world on sports medicine and shoulder problems. Dr. McFarland, welcome to the show. Thank you. What are the most common reasons for shoulder pain? Well, uh, there's uh, two major causes of shoulder pain. The first is um, probably rotator cuff irritation or tendonitis, it's called. It's probably best called rotator cuff syndrome. And uh, it's uh, characterized by pain usually after doing some new activity that you're not used to doing uh, or something of that nature. And the uh, second most common would be stiff, a stiff shoulder or a frozen shoulder. And uh, that also uh, can be very, uh, very, very painful. Uh, focusing on rotator cuff injuries, what predisposes us to those types of injuries? Well, probably the major factor that relates to rotator cuff problems is age. Uh, rotator cuff symptoms are pretty much unheard of uh, below the age of 30, except in maybe athletes. But once people reach the age of 30, the incidence of uh, pain and problems due to the rotator cuff sort of increases linearly with age. So that by the time people are 80 or 85, uh, almost everybody has some rotator cuff pathology, such as a uh, tear of the tendon or 
at least a near full thickness tear of the tendon. Where do most people experience pain when they have a rotator cuff injury? Well, the most common uh, side of pain in the rotator cuff is in the shoulder region itself. Some people point to their neck area, but uh, that's really not uh, the shoulder. The shoulder is out uh, on the lateral side or on the edge of the shoulder out at the tip. And that pain radiates typically down into the proximal part of your arm, either in the front or on the outside. Sometimes the pain can get bad enough to go all the way down your arm. But typically the pain is in the lateral side or what we call the deltoid muscle on the side of your arm. Ed, would you define the rotator cuff for us, the specific muscles? Well, the rotator cuff is a very interesting uh, set of muscles and tendons. There are actually four muscles and four tendons. And uh, there's two ways to injure those tendons. One is you can fall and the tendon can rip off the bone. In that situation, if the tendon's completely pulled off the bone, we generally recommend that that be surgically fixed because the tendon won't heal back to the bone on its own. So those kinds of tears are very uh, amenable to surgical repair, and uh, most people do very well once they're repaired. The second way to tear your rotator cuff is, um, I tell people it's like wearing a hole in the seat of your pants. The tendon is about as thick as your little finger. The tendons are about as thick as your little finger and about as wide as two or three of your fingers. And there are four of them, and each one of them can wear over time such that you don't know that it's really happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of those tears are very small, say the size of your fingernail, um, maybe a centimeter in size. Some of them are larger than that. And uh, what you do about it depends entirely on uh, how much it hurts and other factors. Uh, the sad uh, thing is that uh, many people have these wear a hole and see your pants kind of tears as they get more mature. As I mentioned, uh, by the time you're 80, a lot of people have some tears all the way through the tendons. Uh, and uh, whether we operate it or not depends a lot on um, whether you even know that you have the tear. And the second is whether it causes any problems or not. Yes, I've seen several patients who've had uh, shoulder pain and inflammation of the covering of the shoulder joint called the bursa and whom I've done injections of steroid and local anesthetic that have had a pretty good effect. Yeah, the, uh, there's several things that influence uh, whether you have problems with the rotator cuff tear or not. One is the size of the tear. We think that uh, larger tears cause particularly weakness, uh, but any size tear can cause pain. The uh, other things that we include in factors, uh, whether some surgery is considered or not, is, uh, again, whether it's a traumatic tear or whether it's one of these retritional wear hole when you see your pants tears. Yeah. The other is uh, whether it's your dominant arm or not. The other is your age and health. Uh, the other would be uh, your activity level. There are some people running around with rotator cuff tears uh, that don't hurt, who maybe it's in their non-dominant arm, they're not athletic, it uh, doesn't really bother them. And in some instances, we elect not to do any surgery, particularly if they have poor health or other risk factors for having an operation. Indeed, there are a lot of factors involved in the genesis of rotator cuff tears. And in fact, I don't think a lot of people realize how common shoulder pain is in that it affects up to almost two-thirds of the population at some point in life. This is Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we come back... We'll ask Dr. McFarland what steps to take after shoulder pain begins. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Welcome back. 
Ed, what should we do once we start experiencing shoulder pain? The main thing is to really work hard to maintain your range of motion. Uh, ice is better than heat, we think, for pain, so you can ice it with a nice bag. You can do it several times a day if you have to. The other is to maybe use some Tylenol, uh, which is the safest and um, aspirin type of products like ibuprofen or Aleve or Naproxen, those kinds of things. Uh, they're the next best uh, line of defense. I would say if all that doesn't work, then uh, seeing your physician is probably reasonable to get a diagnosis and uh, maybe more definitive treatment. Can shoulder pain be life-changing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt uh, that uh, we see lots of people whose pain has kind of gotten out of control and uh, it affects their sleep, which, of course, definitely affects their lives. Uh, also affects what they can do activity-wise, not only in their work, uh, but they're uh, using their arm at home or using their arm for uh, fun activities or sports. So it can definitely be a life-changing issue. And let's transition to when shoulder replacement is necessary. Uh, Shoulder replacements are indicated primarily for people who have uh, very bad arthritis in the shoulder where there's the cartilage has slowly worn away so that they have bone on bone. Uh, Shoulder replacements are a great option for people in that situation because they almost universally get rid of the pain and most people see some improvement in their motion. Uh, But the great thing is it makes them so that they can sleep without pain, they can use their arm without pain. Uh, they can uh, have, a, have their lives back and uh, be more active. Are there certain activities that you wouldn't recommend someone perform who's had a shoulder replacement? Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, the, there are some things that they shouldn't do. People who've had shoulder replacements should uh, avoid um, uh, doing a lot of repetitive pounding type activities like is hammering or tennis. We do let people who've had shoulder replacements uh, do golf. Uh, they can ride a bike. They can jog. Uh, some can swim. Uh, and uh, those kinds of activities, but we recommend that they avoid pounding type of activities. My understanding is that there's quite a bit of longevity associated with shoulder replacements. Well, the good news uh, for shoulder replacements is that um, they last quite a while. Uh, Fortunately, there are a couple studies that show at 17 years uh, after the replacement, only about 5% of people have this, has a shoulder gotten loose enough that they need to have more surgery. So the chance that they will have a implant still in their shoulder 15 to 18 years later is around 90 to 95%, and that's pretty good. That's very good. What advice would you have for weekend warriors to protect their shoulders? Well, the biggest issue for weekend warriors is uh, when they go from having very little stress on their shoulders and their activities of daily life to putting a lot of stress on their shoulders with their activities on the weekends. So what gets the tendons most irritated is when they go from very little stress to a high amount of stress. Well, the biggest amount of stress uh, that your shoulder can see is probably from throwing a baseball or a softball. So the uh, main thing uh, for people who are considering doing those kinds of sports is they should think about getting their arm in shape before they go out and throw. Uh, the uh, people who go out and maybe trim the hedges and those kinds of things can also get their shoulder irritated, but it's nowhere near the amount of stress that you see throwing a baseball or softball. So we recommend that uh, people who are going to be doing overhead throwing type sports like that uh, really try to spend some time getting their arm in shape before they go out and throw. Let's talk about the causes of frozen shoulder. The most common cause of a stiff shoulder is... um, uh, is an idiopathic uh, type of 
the disease or entity. Idiopathic basically means we don't know what causes it. And uh, people wake up one day and their shoulder's a little sore. And uh, over the course of a day or a few more days, they notice that they're getting stiff, uh, even though they hadn't done any new activity or done anything to get it irritated. Uh, and the uh, next thing they know that their shoulder is suddenly stiff and they can't move it and it's painful. Uh, if you start having pain and notice that you're losing motion, uh, you should uh, try to work real hard to keep it moving. If you have trouble doing that, you probably should see a physician to get a treatment program. Uh, physical therapy is very helpful because uh, the therapist can help you move your shoulder. Uh, we usually recommend that you get a program of stretching and uh, maybe even a, what's called a pulley unit where you it's a, essentially a, a, a device you hang on the door that has handles and the rope so that you can work on pulling your arm to keep it uh, mobile. Ed, before we close, what are some of the new developments for the treatment of shoulder pain? Now we have a procedure called a reverse prosthesis, which is a special kind of shoulder replacement designed for people who have bad arthritis and rotator cuff tears. Uh, fortunately, this uh, operation is very good in terms of providing pain relief uh, uh, there's a uh, hyaluronic acid type uh, injection that we can do. It's been used in the knees for uh, many years. Um, and it was a series of three shots, but now it's down to just one shot. And it's essentially uh, sort of a form of uh, natural lubricant that you can inject into the shoulder joint. Uh, that's also been approved by the FDA only for about a year and a half now. So we use it very cautiously. Some people are candidates and some are not. Dr. McFarland, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks very much. Tune in next time when we explore another interesting topic on Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. And now for email questions. Here's a question from Jordan in Los Angeles, California. I'm a 45-year-old professional golfer. In February, I had sections of my 8th, 9th, and 10th ribs removed due to a malignant tumor. I still experience a fair amount of pain and some swelling. Is there anything I can do to alleviate the pain without taking the dilaudid? Jordan, rib surgery can cause nerve pain, or neuropathic pain specifically, which is burning, shooting, stabbing pain. The opioids can be helpful, like the dilaudid, but the long-acting ones, like OxyContin or MS-Contin or Fentanyl Patch, for example, typically offer better pain relief because they last longer in the bloodstream. The nerve pain may be better treated with medicines like Neurontin, Lyrica, or Nortriptyline. You could also try specific nerve blocks performed from your back along the 8th, 9th, and 10th intercostal nerves with steroid and local anesthetic. If helpful, we do something called pulsed radiofrequency ablation along the same nerves to provide longer-lasting pain relief. Later, Spinal cord stimulation may be a good option if you don't get enough relief from the medicines or other procedures. Here's a question from Hazel in Bismarck, North Dakota. Do people with a history of narcotic addiction have a risk of relapse after having a surgery that uses narcotics and the anesthesia? What should recovering addicts that need surgery do to prevent this from causing a relapse? Well, Hazel, to my knowledge, the risk of relapse from opioids or narcotics uh, that are used during surgery is very low. Just let the surgeon know of the history of addiction because there will be risk associated with the use of opioids for pain after the surgery. Get a sponsor involved and be honest with the doctors involved to help prevent any relapse from using opioids after the surgery. 
Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.